everyone, Ben Nelson here, the Everyday Real Estate Investor. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the podcast. Appreciate everyone listening. Again, kind of reiterate every time, the goal of the podcast is just, you know, everybody's different levels of investing. Everybody has different goals and there's a lot of pressure out there to be you know, some big time investor. That's great for a lot of people. It's not what everybody's after though, right? So, you know, being an everyday person, a busy person with a career, job, family, all that stuff, and still finding a way to invest in real estate is is a great thing. So that's what we're trying to encourage and encourage people to be involved and not use that as an excuse to not be involved in real estate. So I am here today with Evan Bellinger and his wife, Kim, is not here with us. She's, I'm assuming- She's sipping wine somewhere. Oh, okay. I was going to say she was maybe busy with the kids or something like that, but that works too. (laughs) Could be perfect. Well, yeah, Evan and Kim have been in the wine industry for a long time, busy with their careers, now business owners own their own winery vineyard and have a private label, all that stuff, which is awesome. So, and then I just mentioned the kids, so obviously busy with lots of things, but have managed to build a pretty nice real estate portfolio over the years, which is awesome. So perfect to have you on. I love the, you know, mingling of business and family and all that stuff and still finding a way to invest. So thanks. Thanks for being on the podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And yeah, it's, I feel like I'm an everyday real estate investor just with a few years of experience and I still work a full-time job. And one of the great things I find about real estate is it doesn't always have to take all that much time. Like that moment where you're like finding a deal or like taking down a deal that's critical, but like once you own it, it's not that time intensive. Right, yeah, absolutely, awesome. Well, why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about your journey and just, you know, where you started, when you started investing, kind of that first step investment and then where you are today. Yeah, we did not, you know, dream of being real estate investors when we got older. It was funny, my wife and I got married in 2007, which was kind of some choppy economic times. And then we purchased a house to live in in October of 2008. So other than March of 2020, probably the toughest time in the last quarter century to buy a house, just in terms of like anxiety and fear and things like that in the market. But we were pot committed, you know, we'd been pending on this and it was scary. And we were listening to Dave Ramsey at the time and who has really good advice for a lot of folks. And so we had purchased this house that was a little bit bigger than we needed, four bedroom and it was just us and would be just us for a long time. And so we ended up renting rooms out of the house. So now you call that house hacking. Right, yeah. But that was before house hacking was cool, right? Before it was a hashtag. <laughs> yeah. It was just being poor and renting rooms out of your yeah, house. That's... And so we were really aggressive on wanting to go through the Dave Ramsey baby steps, pay off that house. And part of doing that was, of course, both of us having a day job and then renting rooms out. And by the end of that season of renting rooms out, we ended up loving it. We ended up preferring it. If we didn't have so many darn kids now, we probably (laughs) would continue to do it. I think we counted, we went to like five or six different weddings of people that we've lived with. That's awesome. um, Several of which we're like friends with now. And that's very awesome. So it's really, it was really a, a blessing really. And it helped us accumulate funds. We ended up paying that house off in about four years being hyper intensive about it. Wow, that's quick, yeah. And then we then we kind of pivoted and we're like, okay, you know, Dave Ramsey would be proud of us. But the next street over, we'd continue to watch real estate prices. And the next street over, a house on a big lot was for sale for sixty thousand dollars. So this was in now twenty twelve. And we still saw like lots available in Newburgh and the price of a lot never really went below like 80 grand. And here was a house on a lot 
for 60 grand. Yeah, it seems to make sense then, right? Just, it was like, like, what else, duh, like, that yeah. makes sense. Like, wait, what's going on here? And so we, we just kind of had this moment where it's like, okay, either the economy is truly going to crumble and we're going to be, you know, eating rice and beans, not for a fun way. And, or like the market's wrong. It's just pricing these houses incorrectly. And the economy had started to feel a little bit better compared to like 2009, 2010, 2011. And so we decided, okay, well let's pivot and rather than keep this paid off house and the security of that, let's get a HELOC on it and start investing. You went anti-Dave Ramsey. Yeah, so Dave Ramsey and I, he no longer invites me over for dinner. But yeah, so we very much went anti-Dave Ramsey and Dave might cry if he didn't have that now. But yeah, so we didn't end up being able to purchase that property, but then we just changed our mind. But it set you up for, for looking for something else. Yeah. Exactly. And so then at the time, which seems like a long time ago now, there was a lot of houses for $100,000 a door. I remember passing on several houses at $130,000. Right, because it was too much. It's too much money. I can't believe they're asking that much money for that. Oh, the rents are only- houses, what, 450 or something like that? Exactly. Yeah, but some of those same houses we passed on, <laughs> Half a million bucks. Yeah, that's like, crazy. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Whoops. Yeah. So we did, we essentially started buying single family rentals, a couple of them. They started out as short sales. So I think we completed two short sales. They weren't short at all. It took like six, nine months right, at yeah. the time. That's the joke, right? <laughs> yeah. And then prices. So we started buying in 2012 and then prices started to creep up. Single families were harder to buy. And so then it's like, oh, but there's still affordability with duplexes. And that lasted for quite a while. So our strategy ended up being doing a deal or two a year now for 10 years. And as some of our buying criteria stayed remarkably similar in terms of like dollars per door and our cash on cash metrics, but to get that now, and we had to basically scale up in building. So now you can still buy shockingly pretty inexpensive doors, but it has to be part of an eight plex or a 10 plex. The regular consumer buyer won't be. Right, it's so competitive. Not that it's not competitive in that space, but it's hyper competitive in the single family home and duplex that space for sure. Yeah. 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 You're competing against 40 or 60 percent of the population for a single family house. Right. You're, you're comparing really against extremely low. Yeah. Yeah. You're competing against very thin air with multifamily, just generally. And a lot of people that are big into multifamily are big into 30, 50. Yeah, the units. bigger, yeah, 100 plus unit or, or, you know, slightly under, yeah, for sure. Yep. Yeah, so you're kind of in that sweet spot, right? Where it's like a little bit more mom and pa, less people looking at it, less institutional buyers looking at it, and big time syndicators and stuff like that. So yeah. yeah, awesome, awesome. So I think, so, so you, you kind of like almost stumbled into real estate investing, right? It's like, okay, how can we buy something and pay it off quickly? And then that's transitioned into like, oh, this actually makes sense, right? This could be a business. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Awesome. And now as a percentage, it's a, it's by far the vast percentage of our net worth and retirement funds and plan for the future in terms of economics and funding. Awesome. And so it's ended up being this vehicle that we did not intentionally get into. Yeah, that's awesome. But you recognize the opportunity of it. And then, and I love the like slow, steady plotting because it can get really there can be a lot of pressure to be like I have to buy a bunch of doors right now right we kind of touched on that earlier you know I gotta buy I've got to buy 10 doors this year I gotta buy 20 doors I gotta buy you know, whatever that is but just you know hey if we buy one or two a year in 10 years we're gonna own you know 10 20 25 units and then now like you can scale up even more you can leverage those to buy some big buildings right yeah and it seems to get it gets easier the longer you've been doing it and like that snowball starts to get bigger and bigger 
and people tend to call you. You know, people call me with deals. Brokers look me up from properties I own and call me to ask me if I'm looking for more or if I would ever sell. And so you just, you're getting into these circles and it's easier. Michael Blanc talks about the law of the first deal. You know, once you do your first deal, the next one happens automatically and almost you have to expend energy not to do it. Right. And that's kind of been true. Like once you're a doer of deals, the next one's easier. For sure. Yeah, it's just getting over that that hump of the first deal for sure. Yeah, and he says, he, like, I know he's talking a lot of times, a lot of what he does is to like bigger, you know, people that want to do bigger deals, syndication, that sort of thing. But he's like, just one, first deal any size. It really doesn't matter what it is. But it's doing that first deal and now you've got confidence, you've got some more knowledge, you've got connections, all of that stuff that's necessary to do more deals. Absolutely. And who do you know that like invest in real estate stops with like a duplex? And so it's like, <laughs> this is cool. Not very many, yeah. But you know, it'd be really cool fourplex and eightplex and you know, 20plex. Yep, for sure. So I know you started mostly buying just local, like here where you live, right? Like here, we didn't mention we're here in wine country, right? With your gravesite out there, right? But you've kind of branched out into some tertiary markets, I think more recently, right? Yeah. So tell us about that and like what, what drew you to that? Was it just the numbers or just, hey, this deal is like crazy or, or was it a strategic thing or how did what led to that and then how is that working out for you? Yeah, so it was driven initially essentially by affordability. We could buy houses for 100K a door in Newburgh in 2012 and that hasn't been true for a while now in Newburgh as, as prices have risen. But, you know, I think of this valley, you know, Portland's the primary market and then the suburbs of Portland reflect that and then we're kind of a tertiary market and then further ones are, are farther out. And you've just seen this wave of appreciation kind of move down the valley. And so we started in Newburgh and bought as much as, as we could and essentially could afford. And then I think uh, our next venture out was maybe, I'll forget exactly which town, but then we ventured to McMinnville where there was much more affordability. That probably felt really far at first. And it felt really far. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, a five class in McMinnville, which is just 20 minutes down right, the road. Yeah. And then Salem, which is maybe 40 minutes down the road in the state capital. And if I could tell myself any advice earlier, it would have been to broaden my reach earlier than I did because I can't tell you how many like multifamily deals in Salem for forty, fifty thousand dollars a door I saw traded on like LoopNet, on Zoom yeah, yeah. for years. And then it's like now that's changed to the upside. Yeah, and I think another thing with that, like for people that don't know the area and just as for people to keep in mind as they're looking in whatever market they're looking in is there's not a lot of multifamily in the county that we're in here in in there's like duplexes and triplexes but there's not really that many that are bigger yep. and bigger i mean i mean like even 10 to 20 units there's just not a lot but you go to salem you know and you have a lot more opportunity like that so it, looking at some of those next door markets if you're wanting to stay kind of semi-local is you could be you could be missing opportunity if you're not kind of considering some of those other areas right absolutely yeah. and now we're in eastern oregon in one town and we've kind of got a nugget there which we're happy about about 15 units and then in southern oregon about 15 16 units as well and so that's kind of helpful where we've got enough that we could attract property management which all of our stuff is under property management but that was kind of a hurdle to go you know a four-hour drive away and part of the way we got around that was it's entirely reasonable for somebody in my mind 
for somebody to do out-of-state turnkey investing, like where it's like, okay, they're investing in St. Louis, they're investing in Florida, something like that. If I could get my head around Florida, why can't I get my head around Eastern Oregon? Why keep right. you know, a four-hour flight versus a four-hour drive? Same deal. And so it was a bit of a hurdle for me, but then once we did, we realized there's a lot of cool towns in Oregon that have a lot of product and the, a lot of affordability. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I think the hurdle for a lot of people is like they want to be able to see it and touch it. But the reality is, I mean, I mean the stuff that I own locally, for a while, you know, you drive by it and like, oh, that's cool. I own that. That's pretty neat. And you kind of check it out. And what's going on? I haven't driven by those properties and I don't even know how long because property management take care, takes care of it. I get my rent and I'm doing other stuff, right? So the reality is you're really not. And, it's, and, and if that's tempting to you, it's actually probably better to be, that's not the best use of your time, right? Yeah. So there's other things you should be doing. If you were full-time real estate and you were a contractor and you were good and you had extra time, it'd probably be super <laughs> handy to all be really- I don't do, do all those all go together, those. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it'd be super handy to be close, right? Yeah, yeah. And you're in a good market would be yeah. the number six. Yeah, yeah. But if any of those aren't true, then it's really, you're still going to have to hire a contractor. You're still going to have to go through all these processes. Yeah. So being there, you know, within four minutes, it's not as helpful as you think. Right, exactly. Yep. Yeah, I think that's a big thing for people to, to, to learn. So, okay. Humility here. I'm going to ask you the question. Tell us about maybe a mistake that you've made over other than not looking out wider sooner what's something that sticks out as, as maybe a mistake that you made that you wish you could take back but other people could yeah learn from. i'll do several yeah <laughs> so one i think everybody says it is you know i should have bought more earlier sure yeah. and but some of that is also we've been pretty aggressive in putting our net worth towards this project and which has grown our net worth but you know i know a lot of folks that you know they're like oh i want to and we used to think this balance stock investing with real estate investing. Well, at some point, for me personally, I would rather you know have my eggs in one basket and then watch that basket and have control. So, like, to an effect, it's betting on myself to say, okay, I'm in real estate and I think I'm good at it, so we're going to do more of it. Yeah. And yeah, and it's hard to be good at multiple things. I mean, investing is investing, but it's not. I mean, there's there's similarities but there's a lot of differences between even like the strategy and the mindset and all that between real estate and the stock market right yeah so to try to be really good at the stock market and knowing what to buy and when to sell at the same time as trying to do real estate especially if you're you know like we're talking to a lot of people you're already busy with family and your career and all that. people yeah. do that full time do i need to be trading watching yeah you know, right it's, it's really yeah. yeah exactly yeah especially right now in the stock market it's so volatile it's yeah like you, there's opportunity there but you have to know what you're doing and if you're better if you're really good at stock picking you should probably do that right right uh, like pick your pony and find out if you're good at it and then go for it yeah uh, so that was kind of one broad you know thing i would i would tell younger me and then another would be I tend to like underwrite pretty quickly thinking that like things will turn out well for me, which generally they do. Uh, but where that's bitten me financially has been higher than expected repair costs. And I'm like, you know, just me and my ignorance and optimism just being like, oh, how bad could it be? Well, it turns out pretty bad. Pretty bad yeah. <laughs> and that's led to kind of some moments of like of being tight on cash. And like, to me in a surprising way that like, it's like six months to a year after closing on 
kind of a heavy lift remodel because it's like the day of closing, yeah, you put out your down payment, but typically our properties have been occupied and it takes a while for those to cycle out and then put in what used to be, you know, $10,000 a door and now it's more like on the heavy lift, twenty, thirty thousand dollars a door. Yeah. It's like, well, it doesn't take a lot of those to start being very challenging. Right. And yeah. so like I've created a lot of stress for myself by by not prepping for that. And so like nothing is stressful if you have enough cash reserves and if you know what's coming. Yeah. And so yeah. that was definitely a mistake where it's just like properties have been tens of thousand dollars more expensive than I was. Yeah, and I, I think one of my bigger mistake projects was kind of along that lines where it was like, oh, there's opportunity here. I'll just buy it and I'll figure it out later. And it's like, I mean, I would say you can be overly, like, I need to figure out all of the, you know, you get the analysis paralysis or you're just, I got to figure out all the details. You don't want to be too far that way either, but you definitely don't want to be, you know, wild west just like, oh yeah, whatever. Well, you know, but there's opportunity here. I don't know what it, what it looks like necessarily, but I know I can do something with it and I'll just figure it out. Yeah, you got you got to at least have some plan moving forward. Yeah, my wife Kim heard that phrase analysis paralysis, and she was asking me like, "What is that?" And I explained it to her, and she's like, "Oh, you don't have you don't that. have that." It's <laughs> like, oh, okay. yeah, so it's kind of like a shoot the name kind of thing. That's um, funny. Yeah, that's funny. What's been one of your main keys to your success in, in building your portfolio? I would say a big part of it is like consistency and having this vision for what it can do long term. We kind of backed into it, but having a long-term plan and for a lot of years we did zero one or two deals a year and so it wasn't that impressive for a long time but then after that's really started to work it's really significant yeah yeah what's been one of your highlights of your investing what a certain deal cool story we we feel very lucky to be on this property and it really came there's a lot of really cool kind of god moments in getting this property but one of which was this property we're on now it's our our home our estate vineyard and there's four duplex units on it we would not have been able to purchase this property if we had not been investing in real estate prior to purchasing it one just to have the funds to do it mm -hmm. and at the time we did like three or four cash out refinances while in escrow on this to get the down payment to take this down. And this was also on a commercial loan and we had started getting into commercial loans prior to this. And so that, that banking relationship allowed us to be able to take it down. Because if we had just seen, okay, commercial property, I don't think we would have had the mindset to be able to do it or the banking relationship to be able to take it down. Yeah, yeah. You see the opportunity because of the, the experiences that you've had yeah. before, right? Yeah. Yeah, our, our primary residence was very different, but similar in that, like, if we hadn't done our prior investing and learned the things that we had, we would never have been able to do it because we, we, we actually sell our finance for a while on that one. And it was definitely a scenario where it was like, well, it was kind of, you know, like you mentioned, you know, God putting the pieces together, right? Where it's like, this shouldn't work, but somehow it did. So we asked the question and they said yes. and. It, and you know, but we wouldn't have even known to ask, right? Yeah. If we hadn't been doing that prior stuff. And if you'd been a, a good boy and girl, like saving up your down payment, at least in our experience, like the price appreciation outpaces our yeah. savings rate, really. right? And so there's like, if we were trying to save money to purchase a nice property, it wouldn't happen. And with every year in the market we've been seeing, we've been getting further away. Yeah. And so you kind of have to be a doer of deals 
to do more deals. Yeah, awesome. Do you want to talk about one of your one of your better deals? Just like a couple. I'll talk about a recent deal. A recent <laughs> deal, sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I pulled up some numbers on our first mixed-use property. So beautiful property in a small town in Southern Oregon, and I was comping a different property, and this was on Zillow, and so and this was in 2021, so just last year. And so as hot as the market is, and it is quite hot, generally, like it was blindingly hot in 2021, but this was on the MLS, it was on Zillow, and I didn't see it the day it popped up. I was just cruising. So all that to say, there's opportunity. Mm -hmm. Two apartments upstairs, it's an old beautiful brick building right on Main Street, and three commercial units downstairs. So price was really compelling. We ended up being able to purchase it for 357000 and we took it down with a bridge loan and the commercial made it challenging to fund basically my normal bridge loan guy couldn't do it because oh, it was more than 50 percent commercial by square footage okay. and yeah all the interesting nuances of financing right There's, yeah. yeah and so rents when we purchased it were just under about three thousand dollars a month and so we thought at the time that that current cap rate you know, a value of about $408,000. So we felt like we were getting a discount for it when we purchased it. Nice, yeah. yeah. Awesome. And, uh, and you're increasing rents on that? Yeah, so the, the, the residential process. units, one tenant vacated, and then the other one, it was essentially unlivable. And so that got changed out. And so two pretty heavy lifts of renovating the residential units put in probably about $45,000 in repairing those and getting them up to a beautiful modern standard. And so we've only moved rents on those two and as of cycled to new tenants. So one apartment at purchase was renting for $650 a month. Now that rents for $1,600 a month. And the other one had been rented for $500 a month and now $1,100 a month. That's a pretty good job. Yeah, pretty good. Nice. And at that same cap rate. So on that same market. same cap rate, it really bumps the value. As you know, the magic sauce of commercial is if you increase the net operating income, you are increasing the value in a big way mm -hmm. because you get to divide by the cap rate. And yeah, so it's based on income, not what the guy down the street exactly. at least not in the same ways. And so yeah. if you can raise the NOI by increasing through a renovation or however or bring it up to market. That's been a big thing for us, just knowing what the market is. Right. Some yeah. landlords are like, ah, oh, you know, these are, you know, I don't want to bother anybody, so we've been leaving rents the same for 10 years. Yeah, recently. yeah, especially recently in the Portland or anywhere, I mean, a lot of markets, you know, if you've got someone that's owned a building for a long time and just maybe hasn't been paying attention, I don't know how you don't see what's happening with inflation and all that stuff. You have to have your head in the sand or something like that. But, <laughs> but yeah. you know, there are people that just don't pay attention or they don't want to mess with it. And, and hey, I'm getting enough. I'm getting my, I'm getting enough that I'm paying for my retirement or whatever that they're doing with it, right? So yeah. why, why mess with a good thing? Yeah, and when, by all means they don't have to, but there's a huge, like there's literal value created when you bring rents up to market, when you decrease expenses, you are creating actual value that you can show to an appraiser and uh, and it's real so, yeah. yeah so we just got an appraisal on that so purchased for just under 360 and now appraised for 570,000 nice. awesome um, a year later so. very very cool yeah and that's obviously enough where I don't we don't have to get into nuances out but if you wanted to you could 
you know, pull some cash out, right? And they've got more cash to work with. Uh, yeah. Because you, know, you got enough equity there that you could pull out your initial investment and yeah. keep running. And that's essentially one of the things we've always done and that's how that snowball can continue is essentially yeah. a cash out refinancing as much as you can. As sheepish as I am to say that, but particularly, and there was a lot of years where rates were coming down, so you could increase the debt, take cash out, and in some cases your payment went down. Right, yeah. And it's like... Yeah, we're not seeing that right now. I was like, I could do that all day long, and that's right? what I was exactly. doing. Right, exactly, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so speaking of that, so obviously we're in a changing market. Interest rates have gone up significantly. From your perspective, what do you see? Because you're always looking at stuff, right? You're always looking at deals. Are you seeing any changes in what you're seeing in there on, on the market for deals? And what do you see happening from your perspective and experience here moving forward? Yeah, I certainly think we're going to see softening in high-end residential. Just looking for a friend for a house and you're seeing some price cuts and price adjustments in the like one to 1.5 million dollar range because you know, single family, single family. Like, so mortgage rates went from 3% to 6% in a few months. Right. That's incredibly challenging for the buyer. But I don't huge see... Huge difference in payment. Yeah, it's, it's huge. huge difference in payment, especially in that. But I don't see a crash because I don't see any desperate sellers and I don't see that many of them. There'll always be some number of folks that are moving out of state, passing away, and then the heirs have to dispose of it. Of, you know, change of life things. Mm -hmm. But if that's a small percentage of the market, that won't crash the market having to sell. Right. But other folks, if they have a price in mind that they want to get, and they're not getting that, they don't have to sell it generally. Right. And you know, the great crash of you know 2008 to 2012, that was a compounding of a lot of factors, and we're not seeing those factors right now. Yeah, I, I would agree, yeah. Yeah, and I, and I always toss out the wild card is, in my opinion, is if banks get really sketchy again, or if they get really scared and they start pulling funding or making underwriting very difficult, making it a lot harder to get money, that's essentially what made, I, I didn't, I don't think caused the crash, but it made it a whole lot worse because people couldn't refinance. People couldn't buy because yep. you couldn't get money. So if that goes away, all the other stuff doesn't, I don't want to say doesn't matter, but it's but it's a lot harder, right, to, to get money. It's, you can't purchase property if you don't have money, you can't buy. So yeah. that's that's my wild card that I, that I always throw out there. I, I don't see that happening, that's, but you know that's the one thing that we don't necessarily have control over. Right? Absolutely. And I think on the multifamily side, I think we'll see some price softening, like on a price per door. But something to think about is you look at the cap rate formula. Cap rates can go up, which normally means your price is going down. Cap rates can go up and sellers can still make money or buyers can still make money because your essentially your rents can go up. Your total NOI in dollars can be right. going if up. If you have still rising rents, even with rising cap rates, yeah. It can you still can, yeah. you can still make money, it can still be a good deal. And so because yes, on your formula, an increase in cap rates would at the same rents lead to a decrease in value. But over time, if you expect rent to increase, you can still make some money there. It's definitely a headwind, but it's not doesn't kill all businesses. Yeah, yeah, very true. Yeah, and I think rising interest rates were, will also affect cap rates because most buyers are buying with debt, and so if your debt gets more expensive, it gets harder to you know manage that with the, the income of the property. So. Yeah, 
And yeah, absolutely. So higher interest rates, you know, another way to think about cap rates is unlevered return. So it's right. like, yep. okay, a six cap is not counting your principal and interest portion, you get a 6% return on that money. Right. And generally most folks would, if you're borrowing money at 5%, then you could probably pay or want to pay a six cap and have a little bit of room in there to make, make money. And so interest rates at 7%, you would probably want an eight cap kind of thing. Yeah. But rents can bail you out a little bit. We shouldn't be expecting the market to do that, but you can raise rents by improving properties, more amenities, and looking in markets where you're not building more units and populations are growing. And there's a lot of towns and states like that. Absolutely, yeah, and that's that's an important thing to look at and is, is what's the inventory, future inventory look like in the market? What is the net? net migration look like, what are jobs look like, are incomes growing, all of that stuff, because all of that factors in then, then, right? If you have a stagnant economy, local economy, where, where wages aren't going up, you can't really expect rents to continue to, to rise if people are kind of already maxed out, right? But if you're in a market where, you know, people still have some disposable income maybe, because rents haven't gotten quite gotten there yet, and high-wage jobs are coming in, all that stuff, you have a higher likelihood of that kind of stuff happening. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, what advice would you give to someone that might be listening that is either newer to investing, trying to get their feet wet, get in their first deal, or maybe they've gotten their first deal or two, but they're but they're like, how do I scale from here? What, do I, what are my next steps? What, what advice would you give from your experience? Something I wish I'd done more of earlier is networking. So joining local RIAs, you know, even starting a local RIA if there's not one around where you're at. And I go to your RIA which is really fun. And it, which isn't here in a little bit, right? <laughs> but just seeing like podcasts are great. Books are great, but particularly books, they're so out of date so fast. And, but if you can talk to somebody once a week or once a month and you're realizing, Oh, well I'm finding deals in this town. Oh, I'm seeing these cap rates move here or a lender. Like actually interest rates are here. That changes so much of your underwriting. The yeah. more you can chat with folks, and see where the market is, that's a huge advantage. 100%. Yeah, not to mention that it's a relationship business too, right? So, I mean, unless you're buying notes over the internet or something, I mean, can you do that? I don't know. I don't know no buying at all. So, but I mean, people do that kind of, but it's really difficult. Most of your success in investing, most of the time you're going to have to have you talking to brokers and uh, out there looking at stuff and actively engaged, right? So you can't do that behind a book or behind a computer or listening to this podcast. Keep listening, but yeah. know, get out there and do it. Yeah, absolutely. There was a point where my network was me and Zillow. And once it became <laughs> me, Zillow, and a lot of friends and brokers and yeah. real estate agents and property managers and appraisers, that's when it, it became so much easier. Yeah, and that goes back to your previous comment too about it builds on itself, right? Well, it's a lot harder for it to build on itself if your relationship with, is just with Zillow, Zillow right? Yeah. Well, I found a deal, but it was all online. Okay, well now you gotta go out there and do that again. Well, if you find it through a broker or you know something like that, now you, hey, this person, I know this person buys, I'm gonna go find them something else, right? So yeah. you've got someone, an extra set of eyes looking for you instead of you having to do all of it and recreate it again, so. Yep, and to piggyback on that, particularly lenders, lenders are great folks to keep chatting with and keep networking with because Lenders, to broadly generalize, oftentimes think about the world in like the box they can lend in as opposed to what you want to do or what you're trying to do. 
And so the more lenders you can talk to, the more you can realize, oh, for this kind of property, he can lend on that all day. But for this other thing, oh, I need to call her at this local credit union. Yeah. But if you don't know that that local credit union has those products, you just, you don't know that you could take a deal like that down. Right. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And, and sometimes they change where it's like, oh, you know, the, our bank's not trying to do this type of product right now. Okay. But down the street, there's a bank that is. Yeah. Yeah, and because they know and they refer each other business, right? Oh, we can't do that, but they can, yeah. and vice versa. So yeah, so get out there, talk to people, get engaged, basically. Build yeah. relationships, awesome. Good advice. Very good. Well, hey, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. I hope everyone's learned a lot and, and been inspired. And again, I love the like, hey, slow, steady pace and, and look where it's, I mean, where it's gotten you to buying lots of doors. I, you know, I don't even know how many, are you willing to share how many doors you have? Not, not that we're all about doors. Not like, that it's not, all about doors. Yeah, we, we <coughs> that, but yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think today we're like at 71. Awesome. Yeah. And, and it all started with one house hack. And it started with one house hack and probably I would need to check the numbers, but in the last, you know, year and a half, two years, it's essentially doubled. So yeah. it's like, it's, it's really had a growth. Exponential trajectory. growth. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So keep at it. Don't, don't frustrate it. Right. Just keep plodding away by that first deal the next one and just you know keep growing that growing that portfolio so yeah. awesome well thanks again for being here appreciate you sharing and thanks everyone for listening and follow me on stacking units yes and if you're in newburgh at any point stop in at bellinger states yeah if you like wine bellinger states also follow us at bellinger states there you so. go very good this is everyday real estate investor out <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>